Hello, everyone. Welcome. This is Quantum Nurse, and I am Grace Asagra, your holistic registered nurse. Thank you for joining me today, and thank you for joining us. My most special guest is no other than Celeste Bishop or Celeste Saloon. So I guess later she might want to, because like, I don't really know uh, the background of the Saloon and then the Bishop. So she, I'm just going to let her you know, lead us to that conversation, okay? So thank you. And please remember that all the information that you need regarding Celeste will be in the bottom of the um, description. And so if you have any question, any, and just any concern that might come up while, we, while you're listening to this um, episode, then feel free, just reach out to us. I'm here, Celeste is here, so welcome. And welcome, Celeste. It's wonderful to be here, Grace. And, and, and let me just read a little bit about you. And, you know, as I said, Sometimes the more we talk, the more that we get to know each other and the more that our listeners will know more about us and they can connect us more, with us more. So Celeste, throughout history, God has called certain women of God to step out from their household into the global stage of history. You became a Christian because of World War II when your family left their faith, just in case there was another Holocaust. Providentially, you were invited by a neighbor to go to a vacation Bible school where you promptly confessed your sin and accepted Jesus as your personal savior. You were born for such a time as this. God strategically and gently placed you in careers, events, and situations that are now converging during this end times. Celeste maintains her strong faith by continual study from the primary languages and concepts of the Bible. She actively explores the depths of faith, and she is an in an active prayer warrior skilled in spiritual warfare. Celeste grew up in a military and governmental home with her father working for the Naval Warfare Center and managing public lands in Washington State and California. You also worked for Homeland Security and FEMA. Your training and activations include the infamous day of 9-11, flood and earthquake operations, mass casualty exercises, and numerous other operations. And Celeste is FEMA certified. Celeste also has education and experience in nursing, pediatrics, dentistry, environmental medicine, and alternative medicinal remedies. Celeste has prepped all her life learned and actively engages in the art of prepping, including all aspects of agriculture. Celeste goes into places where angels fear to thread, to tread, to bring you the most relevant and practical news and information that you need to make wise decisions during these perilous times. And Celeste has her own 
YouTube, TV show, whatever you call it. It's a place, like I always say, it's a sacred place for people who can express themselves truthfully, could reach out and she has a strong community so we can, we don't have to feel alone, whatever we're going through. So thank you, Celeste. Really, thank you so much. Well, it's a passion of mine and I know it's a passion of yours to bring health and happiness and inspiration to other people. So it's a real honor uh, to be here and to have a chat with you and um, invite the listeners and see what we can, we can talk about. To please tell me, tell us more about your journey when I can see that just like a survival means of, of transforming or whatever's the term to change from one faith to another. And then do you have like an aha moment that led you there? And now you're really um, doing the work of God. And I know some people may have that faith, but they, they get scared, okay? Especially in times like this. So, you know, tell me how that transition and what makes you really have that courage to just do the work? So basically, I think I'm really blessed because my dad did work at Naval Warfare. And so he <clears throat> sat me on his knee at five years old. And he said, these things that we are seeing right now play out in front of, you know, on the TV, on the internet, everything. He said, these things are going to happen on your watch. And so you need to prepare. And so, of course, he was my father. So I took his words to heart and I knew what it meant and that I needed to gather skill sets, internal fortitude, uh, do lots of study, take lots of classes, be um, skilled in many different things because uh, you never know what you're going to need. Like sometimes I know when maybe when you were in school, you said, oh, why do I have to learn this home ep economics? Or why do I have to learn this geometry? And then years later, you find out that that's what your job called for. So I learned many different things. And right now, they are all coming together. Every experience, every skill that I ever learned is coming into play right now. So that basically I am prepared for this moment, but I think, I, I mean, I don't know the mind of God, but I assume that he wanted me to teach other people and to empower other people and inspire and encourage them that if I can do it, that they can also. And so I really, um, didn't have an aha moment because I really took to heart my dad's words and faith was just a part of the one, many skills that I learned. I, like I said, I learned medicine, I learned agriculture, I learned government, I learned military. Um, I'm a student. I love to read and study history and I don't like to make the mistakes. I, you know, I mean, maybe it's my character. You know, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. If somebody in history has learned how to make a wheel, 
why should I learn how to make another one? So I'm a, one, a good one for picking up a book and saying, okay, what can I learn from this book that's applicable to me right now today? Oh, that's interesting. Because uh, I'm not sure. I think nowadays, not a lot of people like to read the book. And they just wait for information to be funneled to them. And that's really crazy, especially nowadays. And so one of a number of people who knew that when I told them I'm going to have you for my recording today. And so they said, ask her about that video that she made in March. So technically for New Jersey, that's also the time when we were the start of the quarantine time. And so tell us what is the most important thing, if, if not all, because it seems like for me, everything that you presented there was all important. That was the most important thing there. And if you want, maybe let's go back to your dad. How did your dad like figure out that it will happen? Because it seems like he sort of knows something, just as you brought us back to many years in that video. So basically, this is a planned event. They knew uh, from, you know, for decades, if not generations, and even centuries, that this was going to come, that there would be glo uh, global fascism. In fact, many religions and faiths from the Native Americans to um, Judaism to Christianity um, and other faiths believe that this cycle is the last cycle, that this is going to make the difference between good and evil, that this is a time where good is wrestling with evil. And, and so I had this really interesting childhood. So my dad knew all these people because of his connections. So one day I came home and there was a submarine in my driveway uh, from Jacques Cousteau. And Wally Shira, the astronaut, taught me how to use chopsticks. And then I remember sitting at the feet of a famous um, microbiologist, Roman Vishniak, um, who was taking pictures of the Jewish population just before they were annihilated in World War II. But he was also a famous microbiologist. Some of his work is just now coming to light right now. And then let's see, an, another thing were some archeologists that came to our house and told us about the advanced um, technology that they were pulling out of ancient civilizations, like, like um, computers and just batteries and different things. I mean, you're talking, civilizations that were 6,000 or more, 6,000 to 12,000 years old, that you wouldn't think did they didn't have computers, they didn't have batteries. So this is one of the reasons that he could tell me that these things were going to come to pass. There was a timeline, um, roughly, you know, he didn't probably, he couldn't say it was going to happen, something was going to happen on a particular day. But he could tell the day and the season. So that's, that's what he did. And that's 
how, and I knew because of the people that came to my home um, that he was telling the truth and that I needed to listen to him. I, I, my imagination is that you're getting homeschooled, homeschooled yeah. of, you know, a lot of knowledge beyond your age and it's just coming to you. So, and because of your young age, just like they say, right? That when you're young, we're like the sponge. We just mm -hmm. absorb a lot of things. And you got lucky, you, or as you said, you're blessed. You really do have, I believe you do have a role to play. And that's interesting that you said, okay, we just keep reading and reading. So, um, and then, and, and, and so how did you, is, is it, you know, when you, when you were already with your experience in FEMA, so the minute that it happened, the minute that this conversation of the, the pandemic was happening, so what was going on in your mind? And then you said, okay, let me make this video. So the first thing that happened is because of my training, I knew that it was going to go global. Um, I recognized it for what it was. So the very thing, next thing that I did was at that point, the, the patient records from China were online. You could get them. And I knew that they would not last long, that that would be shut down and would be buried and concealed. So I grabbed those patient records and I transcribed them from Chinese into English very interesting, very interesting to see what the doctors had to say about the patients, what they were suffering from, what their vitals were, and their take on it. And so then, uh, like, that was in December. And then in the, about the beginning of January, because I knew the situation was going to go global, I have... Um, I do situational awareness, so I have different sources, so I started to make the rounds of my sources, and I went to the World Economic Forum in Davos, and the viewers can go to the World Economic Forum in Davos, and up at the top, there's a tab called Platforms, and you can push that tab, and it has, uh, if you push the COVID tab, it will show a spiked protein and each one of the spikes is all of the different things that they were going to shut down and disrupt around the world. Everything from manufacturing to elect, um, electricity to how we buy our behavior, health, um, every single conceivable thing, they were going to restructure the whole world that it would no longer be, uh, before COVID, it was a different world than it is now. And it will never go back to be the same. And so then what, if you press the other 18 tabs, so there were 18 different pillars, if you will, that they were going to change. And under each one of those pillars are many different objectives that they had to change it actually goes down 250 layers deep. That's how deep um, the changes are, are that are in the works right now. So 
I was pretty alarmed at what I saw. What I saw were all the plans that I had worked on, all the plans in the computers, all the plans that had been exercised, all the plans in notebooks on dusty bookshelves had all been operationalized. And that's a real important word. Um, whenever in the early, if, if anybody goes back and listens to the daily reports and you hear the word operationalize, that means that they were making active all these plans. And so here we are in a different world. Many people think we are going to go back. We are not never going to go back. Um, it is a new world. Uh, there's new rules and it's, there's going to be another wave. Um, and well, let me back up. The first wave um, that I discovered was just going to not cause that many deaths, except in China to scare people, but it was going to cause a lot of disability and a lot of fear so that they could make the changes that they wanted without a tremendous amount of resistance. And so um, now the second wave is going to produce a lot of deaths because if you've followed uh, the Georgia Guidestones or the Deagle Report or the Rockefellers or Bill Gates, they all are calling for depopulation of the planet uh, pretty significantly, like 90 to 95% of the people. <clears throat> In this next wave, that's what you're going to start seeing. Um, but there, you know, it's not, you're not doomed, let's say, um, to be a victim of what's coming if you take some precautionary skills. And so maybe we can talk about that. Yes. And uh, I'm, I say I'm a Girl Scout, so I like preps. And being raised in the Philippines, we're really, um, you know, we, we, we know how to prep ourselves for any kind of disaster. Okay, so I like that. Now, but what I think what, um, that when you said operational, I, what, another word that came into my mind is execution. So like the executing now the plan. So yeah. in, in the beginning, some people, because I know I can't say that most, maybe pe some people just don't speak out more. So some people believe that it just kind of like happened. Yeah, just, you know, like overnight or few months or even few weeks. But what you have found out is that, and you knew even before that things are planned for a long time. That's why sometimes if it's, if, if it's planned for a long time, then if it's a good intention of planning, because it's good to be prepared, right? But then it, the, the execution must be beneficial for the people. But it seems like the execution is the actual plan for doing what they hope to do, but that is not beneficial for people. Now, when you said that, when you said that, that the deaths will increase more, eh, that's, that's, um, counting whatever um, questionable data that they've been presenting, right? And is that that's going to come from the, from the virus or from something else? So I don't believe that the 
COVID-19 or SARS-CoV or coronavirus is a virus. Um, I see strong evidence that it is a nanoparticle that is part biological, part robotic with a hollow belly in the center. And depending upon what frequency is it's told it can deploy anything from a poison to a virus to a bacteria to um, even an explosive. So um, anything, anything could happen. And that makes sense when you see, you know, in the beginning, there were just a few symptoms for, I'm just going to, for simplicity, say COVID. <clears throat> but you know, there were only a couple symptoms. And then it, then they added a few more. And then they added a few more. Then they added a few more. Now it's like, if you, if you like scratch your nose, that's a symptom of COVID. You know, so that is, that is to me saying that my hypothesis that it is this nanosyn bioparticle of which each one of us has about 20,000 of them on every red blood cell in our body. So, you know, there's a lot of them out there. And, okay, so you go, how could I have 20,000 on, on a red blood cell? So each one of these nanoparticles is about the size of an atom. So it's very, very tiny. And they have specific jobs. When a certain frequency hits them, it might say, okay, spin a different way. And, you know, we're in perfect, when we were created, we were created in perfect balance. And everybody knows, like, if you do something in excess, it gets you off balance, whether it's you don't, you don't exercise or you eat too much pizza and the next day you feel like a lump, you know, you can't do that. So these things some, there's actually, if you want to go into woo-woo land, um, each, in, in some of these nanoparticles, there are 33 different classifications of robots with different missions. And they are basically sensors that are deployed into your body, like a fleet of sensors. If you want a visual of it, I would highly suggest the viewers go to a YouTube called Slaughterbots. It's S-L-A-U-G-H-T-E-R-B-O-T-S. And it talks about DARPA's swarm technology. DARPA really likes things that swarm. And although these are drones, it will give you a visualization of what is going on inside your body, what they have deployed. And what, why I believe that the pneumonia that the patients got from the COVID was not pneumonia like from a bacteria or a virus, but that it was swarming nanoparticles, which is what they do. They swarm and then they clog up tissue. And okay, so people might, you might ask, where, where does Celeste get this information? Did she just go to the store and buy it at the like, Inquirer magazine? No. So what I do uh, two or three times a week, and I just got my, my data load today, I go to the scientific peer journals. 
and I look at things like sensors, what are they doing with nano agriculture? What are they doing in photonics? All the, what are they doing in all these different science fields? So I actually read the science journals and I do much, very similar to what my dad did. So what my dad did in naval warfare was take highly technical classified information that was to be declassified and put it into simple words that people could understand. And so now my job as his daughter is to take these complicated scientific and medical terms and, and concepts, this, this new frontier that nobody's ever even heard about, and try and explain it to the average person, which is not always easy, but I do the best that I can. It seems like they, it is intentionally designed that it could be difficult from ordinary people because who, you know, it's not really very interesting to read them. Usually I would read the begin the abstract and then the, at the end, the conclusion or a few, you know, even myself, I'm kind of falling asleep when I'm reading it. However, if someone tells me you better read this research or this article, then I'm really going to take my time to read that. Yeah. How do we, where do we go from here? What's the best things now? Remember how, you know, you're the lady of PrEP. So PrEP us because I, you and I and other people, we don't really want to, our spirit to be defeated or wrapped in too much uh, of, of fear. We have not a little fear, but it's cautious, caution that we can use. So tell, see, please tell us how we could PrEP ourselves. So there is fear that, that we have as a human being, and there is a good reason to have that fear. Like, for instance, if I'm going to touch a hot wood stove, my brain says, don't touch it, and I'm fearful of that hot wood stove. That is a constructive fear. But sometimes, like in this situation where there's a lot of confusion, there's mixed messages, there's mixed data, there's little to no data, we're being told it's a big information war. Um, so they are creating an environment of fear for us to become dependent. And what we need to do in every area of our life be keep one our humanity this is this whole situation is very inhumane before it it happened they were talking about we are going to be living in a post-human world that means there won't be any humans left except a few elites who are going to use this as their paradise garden so i guess the first thing is you need to get your mindset that you are not going to embrace fear. Um, I can tell you a story. So my husband was killed three years ago and I don't really have family. And I, I live in the wilderness in the Rocky Mountains of Montana. So I didn't really have a network of friends or anything like that. And I spend all my time writing and just studying and that type of thing. And so when David was killed, it was an accident. So it was sudden. It was like we said, I love you. And 15 minutes later, he was gone. That was really hard. And it could have been 
an opportunity for me to let fear come into my life because I didn't, he died with $20 in his wallet and I gave a quarter to charity because I believe I wanted to start my foundation as a widow giving. Um, I, I think giving is very important. And so I didn't know, you know, was I going to be able to pay the rent? I had no money. I had no income. I, 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 David was the breadwinner and then the car was destroyed. So what do I do about transportation? And then of course you've got the grieving process and there was nobody there to just be, you know, to give you a hug, say, I love you. It's going to be okay. I had to rely on supernatural, the supernatural. So I do have a biblical worldview. So I believe in God. And so through prayer and my study, um, you know, you can't, in death, you can't, there's no bargaining, there's no arguing, there's nothing you can do, you have to accept it. And that's a lot like the situation we're finding ourselves in right now. Um, we don't like this new world that they're creating. Um, it's not, it's not human friendly, it's anti-human. And so we want, we just can't let fear reign in our heart. So how do we do that? So we want to get a mindset of, you want to spend some time in a peaceful oasis. You want to focus on good things. If your mind starts like gravitating too much, you, you must allow yourself time to grieve. And we're all grieving as a people that lost planet that we had just, you know, in December. Um, you need to allow yourself time to do that. But if you're spending all your time and you're consumed with it, you need to get balanced. You need to get outside, put, take your shoes off, run your feet in the grass, uh, go dig some um, in the dirt, uh, plant some flowers, take a walk. Uh, maybe if you're a boater, you can go out on a kayak or a boat on the water, which is very relaxing. And you need to do those things. And But you kind of need to learn this skill of, like, I'll let myself go. Like, the other day, I had someone here for three weeks to help me put my farm to bed for the winter. And when he left, I found myself kind of despondent because I had not realized that I hadn't had human contact in three years. And so, like... I mean, little hits and misses, like striking a match, you know, here it flares up and then it's gone, but not someone constant, you know, where you're interacting, maybe sharing a meal, a, you know, having a drink together. Um, and, but I didn't let myself, I could only let myself go a little ways in being despondent or I could get downright depressed, you know? And I got a lot of things. We're in this business class together. I don't have time for this. <laughs> it's like pick up your pick up your boots and 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 get trucking. So that's something that you really need to rein in. And you can. You just you might have to practice it, um, where you say, okay, I'm only gonna think about 
my fear for five minutes this today. Or maybe you have to start at an hour and work your way down. And then all of a sudden you find, and then, then add some positive qualities. Like, I think I'm going to spend five minutes smiling today. Or I'm going to do this random act of kindness. And I'll, I'll share this little story. So one time, this is in the 1980s, I was in the bread aisle at the, my local grocery store. And there was a little old lady. She was probably 85 and she was maybe four foot nine. And she was looking up at the top shelf. And those top shelves, this was Safeway back in the day, are pretty tall, like nine feet tall or eight feet tall. I don't know. And looking at this bread and she was, you could tell she was like trying to figure out which bread she wanted, but she couldn't like look at it and smell it and all that. So I said, would you like me to take those breads down so that you can look? She goes, oh yes, please. So I took the breads down and then she decided upon one and she goes, thank you. She goes, my name is Esther. And I said, well, my name is Celeste. It's nice to meet you. And you know what? I never saw her again, but it was such a special moment for both of us that every time I went to that grocery store, I always looked for Esther to see if she was there. So we can touch just the simple thing like getting some bread off of a shelf. We can touch somebody's life. And we never know. We never know what little thing we do might be impacting somebody else for the good or the bad. And we have to be very mindful of that. That's true. And as, as they say, that if, if it's something for the good, that if we could appreciate or, good, or do one little good thing, then we're able to do um, the bigger things. But if we just ignore the little ones, then uh, how can we even appreciate the big things? So I, that's how I always think in terms of that. Yeah. Um, but have you ever, when, when you, how did you survive then? Because you said you didn't have any resource. He was the breadwinner. So how, what did you do? Did you create your farm already or you continue your farm? I was, I was pretty blessed. Um, David had built, left me all of the infrastructure of our little farm. And so I did continue it, but then about two years after he was killed, um, people did not value fresh produce and agriculture like they used to. And, um, and I also did many, I made handmade products like creams and lotions that had no chemicals or preservatives in them because I believe all that stuff is toxic. And so... I make my own, even my own laundry soap, but people were not appreciating it and they were complaining about the price. They'd rather pay a dollar from China than $5 for something with real ingredients that would not be toxic. So then I had to look for other avenues for revenue. And so it was a year ago, July, and I woke up and I had an epiphany. And that epiphany was that I was supposed to go in front of the camera. I had been a secret source um, of many of your favorite alternative media people. 
And also, I did my own writing, my own blogging. Of course, I'm a, a photojournalist. And so I did go in front of the camera. The first three months, I was terrified. You know, every time, like, my hands were shaking, my voice was cracking. And <clears throat> I, it was not something, I loved being behind the camera, but not in front. And then it, it kind of, there was a real need because we were starting to slip into this post-human world. And people wanted to connect with other people, but they didn't want to be mocked or laughed at or harassed. They just wanted to reach out and explore different topics, science or religion or what, or gardening. And they wanted a safe place to do it. So a community developed uh, where we could talk openly on many different topics and then different ones could teach and we also have a, um, a, someone each week for 30 minutes shares how they overcame adversity. And those are always so interesting because to see the different tragedies that, that people come out of um, is just helps to fortify us because maybe we're struggling in that area and we've never told anybody. Um, so back to David. So in the early days, what I did to overcome was I had certain routines and habits. Of course, I had to get up and feed animals and take care of. I had goats. I had to feed them. I had to milk them. I had to do something with the milk. I had to clean up after them. I had chickens I had to feed. I had to collect eggs. I had my golden retriever, had to take him for a walk. And so there were these routines so that I really just wanted to put the pillow over my head and just stay there. Actually, right next to me, I got on the floor one day, maybe the first week, and I said, I just want to die. I want to crawl in the grave with David. I just I, I don't want to live, you know. I knew it wasn't my time. I knew it. But, you know, you have to. <laughs> I, I, that's the only time I did it. But, and I knew it wasn't my time. I had, I had things that I had to do. So, basically, day after day, I put one foot in front of the other, and things improved. And I think about a year after David died, I started to look forward, okay, what's going to happen the next year? The first year, you kind of have to just give in to grief. You know, you have to go through the process. You can't hurry it along. You can't fight it. you got to go through it. It's like going through a storm. And so I did. But then I started getting excited. And so then, like I said, I have this biblical worldview, and I'm saying, okay, Lord, what do you have in store for me? I'm so excited what year two is going to be like. And the Lord said to me, I want you to teach my people how to be faithful in suffering. <laughs> and I go, oh, that means that the, the, um, these waves are going to keep coming. I mean, and he sure. said, yeah. <laughs> Yes, but he told me early on, like 48 hours after David was killed, 
it was very precious to me, actually. He said, the Lord told me, he goes, I want you to think of yourself as a fishing bobber. And I don't know if you know what a fishing bobber is, but they're like a little circle and it's filled with air. And then the hook, there's the line in the hook. And if the bobber goes up and down, you know that you caught a fish. So the Lord was telling me, I want you to be, think of yourself as a fishing bobber. And when the waves come this year, you're just on top. You're riding on top of the waves. Just you're right. You're going to feel the waves, but you're just on top. You're not going to sink. You're not going to do anything. You're riding along. And that saved me. So I, I must have, I'm still thinking about that maybe a million times. And it saved me a lot of pain and sorrow because every time a wave would hit, I would just think of myself as the, the fishing bobber just going along. And so the second year was better. And then this is the, my third year and my life has totally changed. There's like community. I still don't, you know, I'm, I'm taking this business accelerator class and learning so much, learning where I did things right, what it, where I made mistakes and meeting lots of wonderful people such as yourself. And, um, and I've continued growing and I'll show you part of being healthy is um, I, so even though my Those husband was gone, I still that's heirloom? Are they heirloom tomatoes? Yes, they are. I grow 50 different kinds of tomatoes, 100 different kinds of peppers, and my niche is actually different crops from different parts of the world and different time periods. So. Okay. Well, good. That, that size of that heirloom is the size of your fist, almost. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I never can. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so cool. That's, that looks so yummy. I want to have a bite. <laughs> no, so, and then, so do you have okra? Yes, have oh. okra. And okra, I like in a, like a gumbo soup uh -huh. type thing. Oh, delicious okra. They're so, they look so elegant for that. Now, you also love to bake, bake bread. So tell me what's your process in making bread? Well, there's, of course, different kinds of bread. And we, since we are going to kind of talk about prepping, mm -hmm. so you need, from, unless it's a flatbread, you're going to need yeast. And you're going to need some type of a flour. And most flours to make a fluffy bread, you're going to want gluten. Of course, many people are gluten intolerant. So you could do more of a flatbread type thing if you're gluten intolerant. I think they do now have like rice flours and different flours that you can uh, make if you're gluten intolerant, but it won't make quite as nice a loaf as the old, you know, if you use the yeast. And then, of course, yeast likes uh, very tropical conditions, a lot like the Philippines, lots of heat, lots of moisture. So once you mix your ingredients, I put flour, eggs, oil, salt, 
um, and a little bit of honey and then the yeast. And then I put it in a pan that's been boiled water in it, but then I take it off the, you know, so it's not cooking. And then I cover it with a towel and then it's nice and steamy and hot. So it doesn't matter if my house is cold or whatever, or, you know, I heat with wood in the winter time. I have an Amish wood cook stove. So, and that dries the air. So it doesn't matter about that. It, it like the yeast likes it. I let it rise for about two hours Then I knead it and kneading you might think it's work, but it's not. It's very relaxing. It's a lot like meditating or yoga. I mean, and you have different seasons. Like one week you might be crying and your tears are falling into the dough. And another week you are on, just on cloud nine because something, you just got an unexpected gift in the mail and you're just beaming and you're just, you're you're expressing it in as you knead your dough so it when you knead your dough it leaves a little part of your soul in the bread and then you let it rise for an hour and then you bake it you can put an egg bath on it that's um, you would take an egg and you'd whip it up and then brush it with like a paint brush or a pastry brush and then you could put um, sesame seeds or chia seeds or poppy seeds. The only caveat with the poppy seeds is if you are going to have guests that are going to consume your bread and they are going to have a drug test, you, um, they best not take your bread because they will test positive for narcotics because poppy seeds just have a tiny, tiny bit of residue in there that would uh, turn up on a drug test. So you just want to be careful. But if it's for yourself and you're just around the house, it's not, you know. But I make different breads for different seasons. I was almost thinking about making some fruitcake. Um, and I made a pumpkin bread the other day. I got a new mold with um, that's a sculpted mold that has pumpkin pumpkins so that when it comes out on the plate, you see these nice fall pumpkins. It's a lot like a cornucopia. So it's kind of, it's kind of a fun mold to use this time of year. Talking about the uh, fruit, fruit cake, the fruit bread, that you can mail, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'll give you my address. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> no, so all of this, the planting, now, now, just getting to know how you prep things, those are also survival skills that if things right now eventually might continue to go to the worst, then at least we could learn a few things that will come handy, um, like the baking, etc. right? But those are all skills as well. So, of course, like you know, I'm a bookworm. So I would highly suggest a couple books. One that you, everybody get a ball canning book. And that is going to tell you how to preserve food. Another, rest, another book to get is a good general cookbook. And I would say one from between 1950 and 1970 
um, because it's going to have a lot of the old time recipes, like how do you make zucchini bread? How do you make this? How? Not the faddish diets that we have now, the basic things that kept people alive, like during the depression, during these uh, times when food was not so abundant. And then I would get a book, a field guide, um, several different field guides, one on plants, one on medicinal plants, and one on the animals in your area. And this might become important because many of the plants, whether you live in a city or you live in the wilderness like myself, can be used for food or they can be used for medicine. So it's, but you need to know and be able to identify the different things so that you, uh, because some things may look alike, but one may be edible and one may be poisonous. And there's identification, um, like for instance, around here, there's like a little wild onion and there's one that's poison and it looks just like the wild onion that's edible, but the wild, ed the wild onion that's edible, it's a tongue twister, um, is you, it smells like an onion, but the, the wild onion that's not edible does not have an onion smell. So you can tell them apart, but you have to first smell to make sure I'm getting the right one. So I like field guides with photographs. To me, they are more realistic. I am much more able to identify the, the plant or the animal from a photograph. Um, some of the old ones um, have sketches. That's a little more difficult because like, what about variances in color and that type of thing? So I think those are some very important things to get. I also have, I don't know if your viewers can get one any longer, but there's an 1880 to about 1885 Dr. Chase um, household book. And it covers everything from how to make your own cosmetics, how to great recipes like my favorite baking powder biscuit recipe comes from that um, book. Um, how to make medicine, how to make soap, how to make shampoo, how do you plant a tree, how do you, oh, how do you make animal feed, just all these practical things that a lot of lost, um, lost a lot of lost skills. So I really love my Dr. Chase's book. So if you can find one, it's a great investment. And it's kind of fun. There will be some things that you can't find. Um, but all in all, there's things that you can. For instance, uh, they made rat poison that really kills the rats illegal. So in this Dr. Chase's book, it has the Norwegian way of killing rats. And what you do is take a piece of buttered bread and then you sprinkle this chemical that you can still get at uh, Costco, not Costco, uh, Amazon. And it kills, it kills the rats. And, uh, but I, I mean, I had a creature. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was a rat. It was bigger. I don't think it was a rat. I think it was something else. 
Anyway, it took half my bucket of poison and it didn't die. But when I did this buttered bread thing, it's gone, hasn't come back. So it, those, those old timers knew what they were talking about. I'm going to research on that. That sounds very interesting. Yeah. Well, that, it wouldn't be, that should be a good online classes nowadays, I think. Celeste, you should do those topics. I do. I actually do. I, I teach uh, bread making and canning and different how to make different beauty products. I've got a soap class that I'm going to be teaching. It takes four hours and people can sign up for the soap making class so they can learn these different skills. Okay. And I'll make sure that you have that information for, for our listeners to do that. Now, um, all, and all these times also that you were by yourself or you, you have less or ba basically no human contact, did you ever have that point where you, you couldn't sleep or you, were, you feel like you're really stuck in a rabbit hole and you, that, that kind of feeling, well, as, as if I know you said you didn't go into the depression, thank you for that. You know, thank God. But what was your uh, most difficult time, the most challenge during those years that you're able to draw from now? I think my biggest, um, for a widow, night times and holidays are very lonely. And up until David was killed, I always spent every holiday reaching out to widows, elderly shut-ins. And that's how I spent the most of my holiday is reaching out to those people that didn't have family, didn't have anybody. <laughs> and then when I became a widow and what I was, a, I was broken. I, I'll, I'll admit it. I was broken in every way, emotionally, physically, mentally, every way. I, and I needed to let God heal me, and I, but I was open. I had to be open. If you want to be stuck in that place, you can be stuck in that place, but that's not where I wanted to be stuck. Um, I look at life as an opportunity, and what, what am I going to learn? What am I going to grow? And But it's hard now. I saw all my friends that I used to call. They go, how come you're not calling on the holidays and the, and in the evening or whatever. And it's like, I, I can barely put one foot in front of the other. So it was a change in my life uh, for, you know, a couple of years. Um, nights are still hard. It's, it's lonely. Well, everybody else has got family or somebody to talk to or something. I, I've got my dog and, and she's a wonderful sweetheart. Um, so that's how I get through the difficult nights. But um, I don't dwell on it if now before it would trouble me. And then I said, you know what, if I'm, if I'm up and I've got the energy, I'm just going to write or look at something interesting. Like yesterday I, or last night, I watched a David Icke thing at the big thing in, um, in England. I should have never watched that because then that got me all wound up. <laughs> I couldn't sleep last night. Um, I mean, it was inspirational. 
but it got me all wound up about the situation. Was that the last one? Then yeah, it was the one that just happened just the, at that square um, where yeah. some people were, like a doctor was arrested and that type of thing. The, then I saw one, which is, I think that was the young Ike. And, but the, I, I laugh, it's not funny, but the way they call it as a grandma killers, I said, that's the right word. That's the right term to grandma killers, you know. Because um, like in, in my practice, it, one by one, a client of ours from the medical center, the family had to make decision now that they had to go somewhere, either a nursing home or an assisted living for a year or so until they qualify for Medicaid and then they become part of the support of the government. But it just, but for many years, they didn't have to do that because they have a place to go to, they socialize, everything. And there's one case that I just called the wife today. I said, How, how's your husband doing now? I said, Grace, he's doing very well. He, he became alive again, even if he's in, away from his wife, but because he's socializing again in the, the assisted living where there's a dementia unit. So socialization, community contact, face, you know, smiles, and just eye to eye is, is so important. He prepped up, so he's, he's so happy. Every now and then, of course, it's just difficult for the wife because he would say, when are you picking me up? So then he said, it breaks my heart, Grace, when he ever, he asked me, when are you picking me up when you're coming to take me home? Yeah, so, what is what what's you what's your superpower right now because you know i you, you also also tell us about what happened to your you had to move your 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 media from one channel to another and you're just kind of like dragging or inviting all your followers to come that was difficult um it's very people this year have encountered so much change and I understand that, but basically certain platforms, depending upon your message, do not want certain people. They believe you are violating community standards. And so basically uh, Patreon had gone to the belief that only black lives matter that they were only going to feature black lives. And then what started happening is my articles would disappear, my posts. Sometimes I wouldn't get a notification that one of my patrons ha had made a comment for three months, three months. This, you're, you're talking the technological age, not the, the Pony Express, you know? And so it became evident when it kept on going and then um, we tried to work with the Patreon management and basically they said, we have a tiered customer service and basically you, we were not going to get any service. And so they were pushing us out. They didn't throw us out, but I lost many people uh, just because they felt like they were being ignored or censored. And it wasn't me doing it at all. It was Patreon. So I had no choice but to do a... Um, platform switch. That was difficult. I 
only have a third of the people that did successfully transfer over. And, you know, in a group, any group, you've got your solid committed people. Um, and then your people that just, you know, loosely follow you. And so I think that people that really valued what I did, did move. And the others just, you know, it, right now there's a fire hose of information. And if, if someone disappears, we gave everybody ample warning, like two months warning and, you know, emails and then follow up emails. And, um, but it was hard because I value and treasure every single person. And so that was a real loss for me that I felt because I really enjoy the input and the comments and the suggestions and when people send me a video or something like that. So it was a loss. So that's hard. As far as a superpower, I just rely on God. He's my superpower. Yeah, nowadays it's, um, you know, it's, it's great that we have our own power but then when we listen to everything that's happening, it's like we're doomed. It's like hopeless. So then we pick up again when we remember that, okay, you're not alone. There's really someone, something much bigger, more powerful that we were right here because this is a perfect opportunity. As you said, you took that situation when your, you, your husband died. So, you know, it was an opportunity to do other and greater things. So it was a perfect time. Now, what, what could you advise the, you know, for those who are constantly in chronic stress? And then now this is the environment. First, they have their own stress of taking care of their loved ones. And now they have to listen to the media. They have to listen to just, no, there, there's no center like ours. So there's several things. And of course, prayer, meditation, walking, eating healthy, because a lot of times we don't realize that the foods that we're eating are contributing to that stress level. Um, I use essential oils. I love lavender. I'll put a couple drops of lavender on my temples or maybe back on the nape of my neck to relax. Um, I like to read, do something enjoyable. If you like uh, to do puzzles or read or knit or something, I would limit the amount of media. Um, you know, spend a little bit of time so that you are aware of the things that are going on. But some people binge the media and it's just not healthy for any of us. It's gonna tank us, we'll be stressed out. If you can at all get off of medications and I would work with somebody, a health professional in that way, um, so that you can go to more natural things that have less side effects. Oftentimes when we, if we take two or more medications, they're bumping and actually causing stress within our body. But when we take a natural things, um, there's, I mean, sometimes there is a bump, but not, it's not as frequent as it is with the synthetics. 
So those are a couple of ideas. I would also limit caffeine. Um, you know, like I have my coffee in the morning. I'm an avid coffee drinker. As all my followers know, they even sent me a couple surprise packages with coffee in it this week. Um, but I only have it till about 10 o'clock at the latest 1030 in the morning. And then it's then no more. I just, I don't want to be all wound up. What, what your, what's your best advice for a young person who may be thinking of uh, being a podcaster or having, being, be, be able to speak out and provide something like what you're doing now? And, but you know it's a changing time. So what would your advice be? So I think this is a great time for young people. They are pivotally positioned to give wisdom to younger people and help shape value systems, moral, ethical, spiritual. And then also they have a connection with the older generation and the older generation wants a relationship with them. So there would be this give and flow, give and flow. Um, so it would, is a perfect time for young people to get into podcasting. And of course they all have their phones and they actually have the advantage that I don't have is I am not technologically minded, but they are. You know, a two-year-old can navigate my computer much easier than I can. I'm always calling my IT people saying, help, help, help. It's like, I sound like a broken record, but at least I'm trying, you know. But young people don't have that. They know, they know the different places to hang out. Did, you know, is Google Hangout a good place? How, you know, what are the different places they should be? And it really doesn't take much time. I mean, you can do a two-minute podcast and say, I want to teach you about tomatoes today and nutrient density. Um, why do you want a nutrient-dense tomato? Because you want health. And what I put into this tomato is going to be nourishing my body. Um, so it could be as short as like two minutes. And then many of my long interviews are like two hours. So um, then anything over two hours, you better break it up because people don't have the attention span. Even if it's an absolute wonderful interview, um, I have fallen asleep on a few interviews that I really was passionate about wanting to listen to. But I, it was at the end of the day and I was tired and I just kind of conked out. So what, what is your, your most important thing or um, that you about your work right now? What's the most important thing? So I just discovered in my scientific journals that they have restructured light. And this is really interesting because about five years ago, I started to notice that the colors in all of my produce and my flowers, it wasn't as bright as before. And 
when I made certain things, it just didn't have the color, the vibrancy that it used to. And I thought, well, that was strange. And so about, I believe it was August, I was reading some of the science journals and I discovered that they have restructured light. So right now, just before I came on, I was doing an article about, I'm doing a series of articles about how restructured light is going to play an impact on your health and my health in the days to come. So I'm pretty excited. Today I'm doing, I did a backgrounder a couple days ago, and then today I'm distinguishing, okay, what are the different properties of light and what is normal and what is not normal? And so I'm going to go into that I'm not sure I'll get it done today, but maybe tomorrow. And so it's always interesting. That's what I love about my job is that tomorrow I may open my computer and see something that I've never seen or even a book and see something I've never seen before and that I get to then um, introduce it to the public and say, this is how this impacts you. And maybe it's something food for thought in your life. Does it, in that light, does, does LED lights, is that part of what they're doing now? Yes. Yeah. And, I, it's, and it's really, so <clears throat> what they're doing, so animals and creatures and even humans have light as a part of us, the photons. Right. Like when, when uh, life is conceived, there's a burst of light. And there's also when we die, the brain gives off. It's almost like the finale at a light, a fireworks show. Just it lights up. As a matter of fact, the witnesses when David died said he glowed. They it took them all back because they really hadn't seen that phenomena, but they said he absolutely glowed. Um, and I believe that's when his soul left his body, you know, as it was departing. Um, so animals have these different light qualities that I'm going to go into. You know, some are very spectacular, like in males often have, like male birds are very colorful, have all these bright colors. Well, the Females are usually very muted because they're the ones that are going to be sitting on the eggs and they can attract predators. And so there's different ways that they were created and they either are camouflage or they splash their color if they're a male and they want to, you know, attract the females. And, and I'm going into this and then it's going to play a factor, believe it or not, this restructured light in the vaccinations that we're, they're going to be giving to us. So I'm going to be going into that, um, not this time, but probably the next time on how that restructured light will be, how it will play out in the vaccination. In, in such a way that if they use that, that will benefit their goal of population control, perhaps in one aspect, some people could think of that light to also help us. So it becomes like 
you know, it may not come from the same group of people, but I always say that on the other side of what they use, there's always something there, just like all different frequencies, right? So not all frequencies are will negatively affect us or hurt us, but when we know how to harmonize it, then we can it could be beneficial to us. So I look forward to whatever you research on those slides. So there's so many alternative um, treatments or sessions or just instruments that I've seen. I'm now I'm remembering that on some integrative um, conferences, they have all those light therapy, et cetera, et cetera, and that they use. So I'm working with a doctor in China and what they're doing over in China is even with fourth stage cancer, if you take spi uh, spirulina capsules at, or tablets at night, and then you go into like a light tanning bed or have an LED light, okay. they have had 100% healing. Um, because what happens is, so the spirulina goes into your body and it potentiates and makes your body absorb more of the light and the light actually kills the cancer. And, you know, the old timers knew this for, for a long time, you know, that sunlight, if you're sick, go out in the sunlight. One, it's going to make you happy. Two, it, there's just vitamin D or vitamin D and plus just the spectrum of light, the full spectrum, it just is very healing for all of us. That makes so much, so much sense. It's like uh, it's common sense, you know, combination of two powerful things. Yeah. Um, what do you love most then in what you do? What do I love most about what I do? I guess I love empowering people and teaching people wisdom. That's what I really enjoy. And what's your number one thing that makes you happy? Super happy. Super happy. Super happy. Chocolate. <laughs> Ooh, with what type? Dark? <laughs> dark chocolate, dark chocolate. I'm on a ketogenic diet, so dark chocolate and coffee. I love make, my coffee. Do you make the dark chocolate then? I Have you ever heard of mole? No, not really. Sometimes I may have heard it, but I, I, I don't have an image right now. So mole is an indigenous recipe to uh, Mexico. And it's made with chocolate and chilies and sesame seeds and plantains, which are like bananas and raisins and all good things and tomatoes and onions. And it's like this flavor sensation. It's not hot, but you're, you're, there's so many flavors that your mind, it's like first you taste this and then you taste that. And then there's an aftertaste of this. And so I'm going to be doing a mole class in November or December. And we're just going to walk through and do this mole. And it's, it really is most delicious. So it's like a savory chocolate. Yes. It's a yes. little sweet, a little this, a little that. 
Oh, okay. Because I've had that little, the chocolate with a little spicy, but not with, you said, tomatoes, you know. Because I know that lately, lately you would see um, chocolate in even with mixed with meat, right? And with vegetables. There's, there's uh, my favorite uh, restaurant in Mon Montreal. Um, What's that name? But anyway, there's this salad and you have to sprinkle it with chocolate. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's cool that you're going to do that. Yeah. And if, is there anything more that you want to change in your life? I think I'm living the dream. I am living the dream and not everybody gets to do that. I am perfect i mean i would love if david could come back but what if i could would i ask him to no because i know he's in a better place but it would be nice to have him here for these days but you know what i am so blessed and so happy and i have everything that i need so like i said you just there's not anything i think that i more that I could want. Um. And when you said about David, when he died, and you said some people who saw him with that glow, I, I believe in some ancient texts, they describe such parting, especially if the person has really lived a life that was in, in, a, in resonance to that infinite being they said that's how they live and they have david, power for that right <laughs> and david was that way he he definitely was and you know sometimes you look at people and you say they have a young soul and i'm not a re reincarnation person but and there's other people that you look and they're an old soul and David kind of had that old soul. I don't know why. And I still, it's still perplexing to me. So I don't know why I have that impression. But that he was, you know, I think in light of the infinite, do we really understand time and space? And even, even when we're living here in the confines of our life, um, maybe there's, there's extensions that we don't really understand about time and space because David seemed older and, um, and he wasn't, um, it just is a perception. Um, so I, I haven't figured that mystery out yet, but you know, maybe someday I, I will see something or read something and I'll go, Oh, that's it. That's it right there. <laughs> yeah, if it's meant for you, then you'll be sharing it to us. Because uh, as far as what I understand, we, you know, it's just in our civilization that we created a concept on the, or we, we materialize it about the time and the space. Because we may have that idea, but we really put it in writing. So now that becomes limited, right? So, you know, some, and if we're, so they said, if we, if we look at it just like that, then our experience will be limited. Maybe David doesn't look at it like that. 
So that feels like an old soul when they don't, they don't exactly fit all the time in a box, right? Yeah, I, and that's true of people that with a, a very strong spiritual connection because it's limitless. There is no limit in the spirit, you know? It, it, we're more than just this, this body. We, our spirit goes out. Um, and that's why, for instance, if I am under the weather, or if I'm not in a good mood, you know, I try not to write or do broadcasts or whatever, because believe it or not, even if I'm writing, if I'm writing and I'm not in a place that I should be, that, those, I don't know what it is, frequency, whatever, it projects out and it usually goes straight to the ground. It does not travel. But on the other hand, if it's full of, of excitement and passion and intensity, it does travel. Oftentimes, it goes viral. And uh, so we need to be careful and understand that. So then refrain. If you're in a place that you shouldn't be, then don't, you know, step back for a little bit until you're you get back in the right space does that make sense mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah a any more few words for our um just just whatever you need to say they felt like you still have to share before i will i always end up with a quantum affirmation that i will share with you so i also tell them where to find all your information okay so i would just like to leave all the viewers with this is to embrace your humanity um do random acts of kindness anything you know make a meal call somebody send a card do something special for someone else um, we need to fight for humanity. This is a fight against humanity. And the only way that we're going to win this fight is to be human. And so I really, with all my heart, encourage you, whatever gifting you have, and you all have so many gifts that you can share with different people. And the, like you said, the more generous that you are, the bigger it will get. And then you don't know, you touch another person's life and then they touch another person's life and it goes on and on and on. And, and that way we can keep the flame of humanity alive. And that's what, that's what we want to do. That is our passion right now. And so where can you find me? So my articles are at shepherdsheart.life uh, and that's uh, my blog and articles, my books. I have two books, um, Seven Thunders Revealed and Electromagnetic Radiation Protection Solutions. And that talks about supplements and foods that can protect you from 5G, cosmic rays, and even, God forbid, a nuclear blast. Um, so there are foods and supplements that can protect you. And then you can always do, 
find my videos on YouTube. I do lots of interviews. I'm usually all over the place. It's not hard to find. Good, bad, or ugly, they're out there. And um, then there's the Celestial Report. And um, I'm also on the Truth Hunters channel. So I am on TV. It's Celestial Wonders. And so all you have to do is if you go to the Truth Hunters, download the app, and then you can watch it on your phone, on your TV, on your computer, wherever you want to watch my weekly show. And it's always interesting and fascinating. In fact, Grace, the quantum nurse, was a guest. <laughs> oh, that's, that title is so much appropriate for you and your message, Celestial Wonders in the Truth Hunters channel. Perfect, perfect. Just what we need nowadays. So there you are, and um, we'll, we'll make sure that you, can, you, you guys can read it also in, in the description, okay? So here's the uh, quantum affirmation. So this quantum affirmation, I'd like you know, the listeners to you know, read it aloud three times in the morning and in the evening, uh, noon and evening, if nothing else, morning and evening. And for me, this has really helped me stay focused or stay positive. Not that I didn't have problems. I do have problems, but it's except that just like Celeste, you just kind of like embrace those problems and, and continue to move on and do something more meaningful. So it says positive outlook. See, it was perfect. I shuffle it and this is what I got. Positive outlook. I start each day with a robust positive outlook. I choose to be radiantly alive. I make a positive difference in the world every day. I look forward to the activities of each day. I love who I am and I strive to develop myself further. I start each day with a robust positive outlook. I choose to be radiantly alive. I make a positive difference in the world every day. I look forward to the activities of each day. I love who I am and I strive to develop myself further. I start each day with a robust positive outlook. I choose to be radiantly alive. I make a positive difference in the world every day. I look forward to the activities each day. I love who I am and I strive to develop myself further. There it is. Thank you so much. Thank you, dear uh, listeners. And dear Celeste, thank you so much. I'm really honored. And it's always uh, not just informational, but inspiring and empowering. And I want the listeners and encourage them to just practice any of the things that you pick up that you might want to add in your daily life, because that's crucial. If you haven't, you know, if you can pray more, pray more, meditate more, eat more tomatoes, <laughs> the good ones, heirloom tomatoes, um, fresh bread, so anything. Just, just, those are delightful activities and brings joy. And it's like our connection to the divine as well. So in my language, I say mabalos. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>